Welcome to episode 6 of the Everyday Lines podcast. So, my week, it's looked pretty busy this week. I've been going pretty hard on my social media platforms with my online running coaching business and I've been really enjoying this process of trying to grow my clientele. So if you are looking for some coaching, please reach out to Everyday Lines Online Running Coaching. I would love you to join the pride. Uh, yeah, what else? I enrolled in a level one online coaching course and this has been really, really good and, and I think I've probably learnt more than I probably thought that I would have and, and we've got a good bunch of people and, and, and it's great when we make once a week over a video conference call and and it's great and I can't wait to do level two, level three and even level four down the track. Uh, in regards to my online um, study at the moment, I, I'm not too far away from finishing my diploma in community services which is really exciting. Just about to start a prac which is also scary as well but um, it's great to see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and and yeah, after this, um, I'm going to go into university and, and study social work. And so I'll only have a year and a half to go before I'm a fully-fledged social worker. I want to work in drug and alcohol. It's um, it's a passion of mine with some some past issues with alcohol. And, and I think it would be really rewarding work to do. I haven't been doing much running, but... I can say that I haven't been missing it because I got to the stage where I was really injured and sore all the time and, and I wasn't enjoying it and and when you when you're like that and you're sore it doesn't it's it's it doesn't become fun, it just becomes a grind and and I know as I as you get older you start to slow down in the shorter distances and this is something that, that I wasn't coping well with and 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 yeah at the moment I don't I don't care that I'm slowing down and I'm really in a good position that I don't need to run and I'm quite content about this and I'm enjoying the next chapter of my life and and coaching and so that's been really, really nice. The podcast, well, it's on iTunes now. So if you are enjoying it, please leave us a rating. We'll go up we'll go up the ratings in our um little subject of sport. So if you do if you do like it, please leave us a rating. Any feedback as well, I, I'd enjoy that as well. So we better get to this week's guest anyway. This week's guest is Shelley Miller. I've known Shelley for nearly a decade now. Shelley is a lovely lady and a very successful one at that too. Uh, we talk about her event management and the events that she's been involved with, uh, the events she's done overseas, travel experiences and we talk about her being the first female president of Athletes Tasmania which is an amazing achievement. This podcast goes for 90 minutes and it just flew. Uh, If you do enjoy it please reach out to Shelley. I think that she'd really enjoy that and yeah until next time happy running.
Okay, so welcome to episode six of the Everyday Lions podcast. Today we have Shelley Miller. Are you there? Hi, Brian. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Your, your beard is looking lush. Yeah, oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, have you had a good day? I have had a good day, actually, because I've left the house today. So that's always a win at the moment, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's a beautiful day and I did some stuff outside and, you know, boring things like going to the supermarket, but also checking on my parents. Um, okay. Do that a few times a week. So uh, any time I get out of the house at the moment is, uh, yeah, it's good. Great. And, and what do your days look like? now so uh COVID-19 is happening and has your work been affected as well? Absolutely a hundred percent so um yeah I work at TAS Networks and we started the work from home um quite a, quite early in the piece okay. um, so I've been working from home now oh, I think back since the beginning of April um I can't even remember it's it's that long ago it feels like so it's just every day I'm here in my home office. Yeah. Um, get very used to wearing the headset because it's just been <laughs> meetings. You know, this is this is how we do our work now. And Jared's um, working from home as well, and so he's in okay. another room um, set up as well. So we've both got a full home set up, and um, yeah, I just have to work from home. It's looking at this stage like I won't get back in the office until probably August because yep. we have such a big workforce um okay. it's really hard for us to go back to work because with the uh the distancing rules and the gatherings of you know well 10 people's not going to cut it but even 100 we've got way more staff than that so we just can't we yep. just can't go back in the building yet okay um, yeah, yeah. And do you want to explain a little bit about your work what you guys actually do as a business yes yeah, so, so okay so tas networks um we're poles and wires so Electricity poles, electricity wires, we get the power from the power station to your house. We don't wow. sell it to you, that's Aurora, um, and we don't make it, that's Hydro. So we're the okay. in-between. So we, um, ah, yeah. You're the middleman. We are the middleman. So we make sure that the power gets from the creator to you. And okay. um, I'm a business analyst. So what that means is I work on a whole bunch of different projects in the business where um, we're either trying to improve something, fix something, so change projects. So I would get involved in trying to understand how different areas of the business do their work. So that could be how we manage cutting down trees. It could be how we manage our spatial mapping system. It okay. could be double before you dig. It could be any part of our business at all. Wow. Um, and then understand how they're doing their work, what the problems are, what would be, you know, if their work was perfect, what would that look like? Yep. And then trying to um, document that and relay that to the people that can make choices about, well, is this something we can actually fix? Um, okay. Is this a new system? Is this a, a, a people change? Is this something we need to build? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's understanding what people need and then yep. um, communicating that to the people that can build the new system. Um, and then going back and, you know, doing a lot of checking in with the with the staff and training and that sort of stuff. And okay. it's really, it's it's a good job because I work in lots of different areas of the business. So I'm not just doing the same thing week in, week out, month in, month out. So I might work on a same project for three months, might be six months, might be a year, but right. yeah, you never get sick of it because there's always an end in sight. 
um, yeah. because yeah. once yeah. once you've finished yeah. the task that you're on or the project that you're doing, you move on to a different project. So you go and work with a different part of the business. So right. yeah, it's really I like it because you get to see all the different things that we do. So the yeah. outdoor stuff, all the fun stuff, you know, putting poles in the ground and yeah. you know fixing all the the high voltage electricity and cutting down trees and and all the internal stuff right. too. There's a lot of behind the scenes, really technical stuff about managing the network, watching the electricity go through the network all around the state, um, yeah. how much power is going through the lines at any point in time, all that yeah. kind of stuff. So, too. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. quite interesting. Yeah. Oh, great. And you've been in that job for very long or? Yeah, seven years now. So, <laughs> yeah, quite a while. I started at Aurora before um, uh, Aurora and um, Transend uh, merged to form TAS Networks and then Aurora okay. split off to, to do the retail side. So, yeah, okay. seven years, I must like it because yeah. I'm a great believer in if you don't like going to work anymore, that you should do something else. Yeah. Too much of your life is spent at work for you to be miserable. Absolutely. That's everything. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, so we're a, we're a running podcast, so we better talk mm. some running, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're going to cover a lot of things here today, but... I think, uh, you know, you mentioned your partner, Jared, and he mm -hmm. runs as well, and, mm -hmm. and you both run. But mm -hmm. I guess my question is, how did you get into the running? Yeah, so, um, yeah, my partner, Jared, my husband, he's been running since he was 11 or 12. So it's it's been his whole life, really. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, I didn't start until, it's a pretty common story, actually, until my early 30s. Um, yeah. I hated Hated athletics at school, was rubbish at it. Hated organised sport. I was more of a get on my push bike. Um, we lived near a BMX track, so I was interested in that sort of thing. Getting outside, riding my bike, riding my skateboard, that kind of stuff. Um, I did play hockey for 10 years in my 20s. Okay. And um, I gave up on that in my early 30s. It was really bad for my back. And it's quite bitchy too. <laughs> you know, women's sport can be a bit bitchy, um, yeah. you know, and it's, and it was a lot of late nights and, and that sort of thing. And so with nothing uh, sort of happening, I wasn't playing hockey and I was really just walking my dog every day. And at the same time, Jared started training for his first marathon. Okay. Um, he was heading up to the Gold Coast to have a crack at a marathon. He'd, he'd sort of had a break away from running and then got back into it. And it really, um, ignited his sort of passion to, to take on a marathon and because he was training for that he lost a heap of weight like I'm sure you understand when you're training like the weight was just falling off him and he started to stir me up a bit saying you know before long I'm going to weigh less than you and I was yeah. like no I can't I can't have that that that's that's a deal breaker <laughs> I better do something about this and like I wasn't overweight, but I was heavier than I am now. And, and I thought, oh, I've got to get off my ass and do a bit more active exercise. So um, I said, right, I'm going to start running. Right. Um, had no idea. Um, all my experiences previously been awful. I'd hated it. I'd had terrible PE teachers, hated running when you only did it once a week and you were never going to get any better at it doing it once a week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I hopped on the treadmill in the garage and three or four days a week, um, I started out just walk a bit, run a bit, walk a bit, run a bit, you know, that whole run for a minute, walk for a minute, see if I could run for two minutes. Like it was that, I was that bad. Um, okay. And I really had to start from scratch and I just kept, I'm pretty stubborn when I set my mind to something. So I just kept plugging away at it and eventually I was doing it five days a week. And once I could run 30 minutes without stopping on the treadmill, 
I felt confident enough to go and run outside. Okay. I still had this niggling idea that I was rubbish at running and if I went and ran outside, everyone would point and laugh at me. How many times I hear that from people who I coach previously or, or stories? Um, what was I thinking? It's such yeah, a bit, exactly. but that was, you know, that was my mindset. And also it was drilled yeah. into me that I, this is something I wasn't good at. So yeah. I did feel very self-conscious about it. Um, yeah. So, you know, I was so fortunate too, to be surrounded by people like Jared and, and um, his friends that were um, very yeah. experienced runners and they were all very, very supportive and yeah. um, encouraging. Yeah. So I had, I was, wasn't getting any negative feedback there. Um, yeah. So I started getting up really early in the morning, like five o'clock and going for a run up the street. Um, because was this I thought, was this, was this, yeah, wow, well, okay, yeah. Because I thought, oh, no one will see me at five o'clock in the morning because it's dark. Yeah. So I'll be able to run and I won't feel silly because um, no one will be able to see me and um, shout things at me from their cars. Um, but it, yeah, I, I started really enjoying it. And um, and then I decided I was going to run the City Casino 5.7K, right. which was back in the day when it used to run through Newtown. Um, um, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I started training for that and Jared sort of helped me um, organise a little program. And, and, and uh, can, can we yeah. touch on Jared a little bit now? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. To tell the listeners uh, exactly what Jared's done in running and, and, and how you guys actually met. That'd be great as well. Yeah, so um, like I said, Jared's been running since he was um, 11 or 12. He actually started um, doing athletics because his grandfather bought him a little um, a little boat to go sailing and he gets seasick and he really hates being on the water, um, which is odd because we now go kayaking, paddleboarding all the time. But anyway, yeah. athletics was on at the same time on a Saturday, so he decided to do that instead. And it turns out he's quite good at it. Um, so he's, he was, a uh, pretty talented junior, um, you know, national cross country champion as a yep. junior. And he held the, he actually held the under 18 half marathon record at the Gold Coast for 25 years. I, I remember it well. And I reckon I can tell you the time too. I think, is yeah. it six minutes low maybe? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It was around that. So he held that record for an incredible amount of time and we actually went up there in 2010 and we were with a bunch of friends and I was actually running my first half marathon at that time and, and Jared was going to have a crack at a PB which he got on that day I think like 60 I can't remember his PB it's like 68 something yep. um, I'm terrible with numbers because <laughs> times are fairly irrelevant to me um being an average runner i'm not i'm not a fussed about the running but yeah he's a 68 68 something um half marathon so and his record got broken that year his junior yeah, okay. record but he held it for that long so his marathon pb so he did his marathon debut um when he was training for that gold coast marathon he did his debut i think it was 248 Okay. Not, yep. not bad for a first attempt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then he went on to do. He's done about twenty marathons. Um, and his PB is two thirty two. Yeah. So yep. couldn't quite crack that two thirty barrier. Um, just a lot of calf problems and you know it's old man legs one. really. For anyone playing at home who's listening in, that's a very decent runner. So sixty eight minutes, about three fourteen pace, and I think uh two thirty two is about. 334s, I think. So, uh, you know, to, to do that is a very, very decent runner. Um, mm. Yeah, and he yeah. had some, you know, some 
pretty healthy 800 metre, 1500 metre um, 5k times as well. I can't reel them off at the moment, but yeah, yeah he was a decent runner. So I was, we, we actually met at work um, at the time we were both working at Trust Bank. Okay. And he was working um, in the same department as my brother, actually. Yeah, <laughs> and right. yeah, we, we just met at work and we got chatting and um, I was still playing hockey at the time. He was playing soccer, both for uni and things, we just, yeah, got together then. Um, yeah, that was right. about 22 years ago. Yeah. I guess, I can't, I can't even remember. It's been a very long time. Yeah, um, okay. yeah so... During that time, Jared was playing soccer a bit and then he, he got back into running. So, yeah, for me, it was really great to have, you know, a, a bunch of people, you know, Jared's good friends with Mandy Giblin, Kim Gillard, um, you know, Paul Taranto, um, Mike Dalton, a whole bunch of really talented runners from his era. And so for them, Anna Smee, Daniel Smee, those people were really encouraging when I started out in running. And one of the first things Jared did was take me along to cross country Right. Um, just even before I'd done the City Casino and he talked me into to going and doing this cross country on a Saturday morning and I was petrified. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all the way there, I said, I'm going to come last. It's going to be awfully embarrassing. <laughs> it's going to be all these, like, you know, really professional runners, um, all these really good people who run really fast. I'm just going to look like an idiot. And all the way saying, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. You won't be last, you won't be last. And we drove down a wood bridge, which is in southern Tasmania, and, and ran around this boggy course. And, yeah, I wasn't last. <laughs> I wasn't first, yeah. but I wasn't last. I wasn't last by a long shot. And everyone yeah. was so welcoming, encouraging. I don't know what I was worried about. And if you're listening into this today, um, um, there seems to be uh, this outlook that, that club running is is like a late, and it's not. It's, it's, not at all. It's a supportive environment. Um, you know, it's, it's like park run, except... Yep more more structured club yeah there's a competitive side but it's but it's so much more than that isn't it it's definitely it definitely is and it, it you know there were pe there are people that walk and they they walk every week so you're not mm -hmm. going to come last and there's people that have been doing it all their lives and you know there's there's older people younger people some of the old people are really fast some are slow mm -hmm. um it's it is really friendly and welcoming and and yeah you know they hang around they encourage everyone across the line it's um it's it was an eye opener for me, yeah. And and people on the day who I'd you know I'd never met most of those people, and they were saying, "Good on you, well done." Gee, you ran up that hill well, and you know, and it made me really feel part of it. It was really welcoming. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. Um, and yeah, no, no, it should be. And I guess with your running, so your we'll mention your achievements down the track a little bit further. <laughs> but how did your running progress after you first started? What what happened? from that from yeah that so i did i did the city casino and all i wanted to do was run the whole way which doesn't sound like a very long way 5.7 kilometers but for me it felt like a you know a mountain um yeah. went really well um had a ball so i just started doing more fun runs sort of 5k and then i thought i'd, I'd step it up to 10k and i i did a few 10k fun runs okay. and um, I was running regularly five days a week um, getting myself into a pretty good routine really enjoying it too and um, yeah I did lose some weight and Jared never caught me um, awesome <laughs> yeah he did get pretty he did get he did get pretty skinny at times but <laughs> he never yeah. quite caught me um, yeah and then uh, so I, I was quite happy running those sort of middle distances for quite a while and then in um, 
2010, we were planning a, an overseas holiday, four months um, overseas. We were going camping in Africa and we were going to climb Kilimanjaro and wow. um, do a bunch of other stuff while we were there. And I thought, oh, I need to get a bit fitter than just running 10K. So I decided to train for a half marathon. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. I just loved the training, the long runs, just getting out by myself. Yeah. It was just a real break away from everything else that was going on in my life at the time. Um, we were um, planning a wedding, which was really stressful. Okay. And running was just a perfect antidote to that. And I actually, I went for a 15K run on the day of my wedding. Wow. Um, everyone was saying, you know, what are you doing tomorrow morning? You're getting your hair done. You're getting your nails done. I'm going, oh, I'm going for a 15K run. And they're like, you're what? I said, yeah, yeah I need to run. I, I need to run first. Um, yeah. So you it's know, part of your routine now. It's something, it's, it's, it's you. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's um, I just really clicked into the longer distance. Um, it's it's time i call it a moving meditation so i really get out of Love my it. own headspace you know i'd sort of really able to just switch off everything um with the shorter runs i do during the week i tend to to go through problems and resolve them in my head it's good thinking time yeah. but with the longer runs i just switch off and i'm just really in the moment so just yeah. taking a lot of notice about the the weather the trees what's around me that where i'm running the noises the animals the birds you know yeah. what's it smell like what's it is it raining is it you know i i love running in in the rain or the cold that doesn't bother me um you really feel like you're experiencing the weather and it's yeah. it's all part of it and so that helps make the time go but also like people say who don't run how can you run for two or three hours isn't it boring yeah and it, but it's not boring at all because it's relaxing we, oh, this is my counselling uh, training right now, but we like to call that mindful meditation. So yeah, taking yeah. it all in. Yeah, like you said, that's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, well, I've been doing yoga for a really long time. I started at high school and um, so that's back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then on and off for a long time and now I've been regularly doing it like at least weekly for probably the last 10 years. And, yeah, that's sort of thing that, yeah, our teacher would call it a moving meditation because we, yes. we sometimes do that in class where we meditate but move at the same time. Okay. Um, just helps focus you. Yeah. yeah it is, right. You don't have to sit there completely still, you know. You can yeah. be moving your body but still having that um, single focus, that really yeah. clear focus of, of experiencing what, what you're in and what you're doing right now. And that's yeah, what long, because, long, long yeah. runs are like for me. Yeah, great. And and our minds are so used to uh, concentrating in the past or, or concentrating on fantasy and not staying in that one moment. And it is yeah. very, very hard to do it when you first start. So that's great. Yeah. Um, and it's, um, yeah. it's something when I'm coaching people for their first distance event, I tell them they need to get used to being in their own headspace yes. because on race day, you're going to be on your own, even though there's lots of people around you, it's not like going for a training run with your buddies. So unless you've got some amazing friend who's going to run next to you the whole way, um, you need to be able to manage that, that headspace and your own self-talk. So good. Yeah. Good so that tip. was, yeah, yeah, that was, um, and after that, Jared decided that I should train for a marathon <laughs> yep. and I, yep. you know, I'd sort of said, oh, I'll never do a marathon. I'll you know, that's, that's too hard for me. You know, I'm not a, I'm still not a runner. Um, yeah. But two years later, you, you we were. You say that though, like you run a half marathon, you, you know, you've probably been running for what, five, six years now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's funny. 
it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, a couple of years later, we were planning another long overseas trip, um, three months to Europe. Um, Jared's brother was living in Cyprus Okay. And we were going to visit him and, and do a whole bunch of other stuff um, around Europe and the Middle East. And um, we all decided to do the Stockholm Marathon together. Wow. So, awesome. yeah, I started, I thought, well, what, you know, I'll just do the training and see what happens, you know. And if it doesn't go well, it doesn't go well. All we can do is try. Yeah. Uh, so, Jared wrote me a training program. And um, he trained and I trained and Jared's brother trained um, over in Cyprus and he came and met up with us in Stockholm and we did, all three of us did the Stockholm Marathon together, which was heaps of fun. Amazing. Um, that was my debut marathon and it was in summer, in their summer, which is um, June, July. Okay. And the, the weather had been around sort of low to mid twenties um, every day. And then the weekend of the marathon, they had a freak arctic storm oh. and we had hail and snow and snow and driving rain oh. and wind and i was running with ice on my legs and wow. i had to go and buy the day before which is i do not recommend anyone do this but i had to go and buy some tights to run in because i'd only taken shorts and a singlet and i would have ended up with hypothermia yes. um, so i had to go and buy a jacket and some tights just to be able to get through it because the race started at midday and it was zero degrees oh yuck and um yeah so but i was just so excited and elated about running my first marathon I just didn't care it didn't the weather it's it just didn't bother yeah. me and Jared snuck me into he got an elite start and he snuck me into the elite change rooms oh, and got me a um a raincoat to stand on the because I had to go out and stand on the start line for about 40 minutes in the in the driving rain and um I just I just ran the whole way with a smile on my face and all the photos are there of me and I'm dripping wet and it's pelting down and I'm just grinning like an idiot because I, the whole way I'm just thinking far out I'm running a marathon like it just yeah, yeah. I just kept hitting me like I'm doing this thing I'm doing this big thing that I never thought no yeah. one thought I would ever be able to do so I just looked like a, a complete moron because I'm just smiling like a Cheshire <laughs> cat the whole time and right. um you know I mean any idea of what of what my time would be went out the window with the weather like that but I just I had a blast it was fantastic and right. the crowd support was amazing even though the weather was horrific the, they still line the streets to support the race and it's, it's amazing isn't it I'd never felt so happy as when I crossed yeah. that finish line oh. it was huge it was huge for me so yeah, yeah. after that that was really broke a big barrier for me to believe okay. that I could do something like that yeah um and you said you've done 20 now? You've done 20? Uh, no, Jared's done 20. I've only done half a dozen. Yeah, only. That's that's still a lot. <laughs> that's, yeah, that, that, that's still enough. That's <laughs> on Comrades Marathon here. Um, did mm. you want to explain to, to the listeners what that is? And So yep. Comrades Marathon is um, the largest road ultramarathon in the world. Um, it's run in South Africa every year and it's a point-to-point ultra it's 90 kilometers on the road um so it's goes from durban to peter maritzburg or and each year it alternates so one year it'll be durban to peter maritzburg and the next year it'll be peter maritzburg to durban so they're called up years and down years um because there's a significant portion of the course that is either very very uphill or very very downhill 
But having said that, the entire course is hilly. Um, there's very, very little flat on the course at all, probably about, oh, I don't know, I, from my memory when I ran it, it was, you're either always running uphill or downhill, and there was a section probably about five kilometres worth that you could call flat. And right. other than that, you're either going up or down. Um, there's five big hills, and in between that, there's a whole bunch of little hills. Um, it's, uh, they get around 20,000 entrants. Okay. Um, and there's a 12 hour cutoff. So you've got 12 hours to do the 90 kilometers. Yeah. Um, the fast guys do it in around five hours, yeah. which is insane. Um, and yeah, there's a bunch of cutoffs along the way. So halfway um, and then a couple more cutoffs. If you don't, the cutoffs are very, very strict. If you don't make it, that's it. They put a gate across the road. So wow. um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very strict. Um, yeah. it, it's quite harsh, really. They generally have a lot of um, media there at the first cutoff point, which is halfway, and they like to capture the reaction of the first people that get cut off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like, you know, how do you feel? Well, how do you think I feel? <laughs> I travelled halfway across the world to run this race. And <laughs> yeah, so you have to qualify for it. So um, you have to run a marathon or an ultra marathon um, to qualify for it and submit your time so that you can get seated. And um, depending on your qualifying time, of course, you know, it depends on where you get seated. Um, Jared got seated, I think, in the A group, of course, and yep. I was in G group. Okay, yeah. So a fair way back. Um, and it took me around... Um, 12 minutes to even reach the start line after the start okay. gun had gone off. Yeah. So, so that it's, gives you an idea of how many runners are, are probably, that's a very skinny start line, but it sounds like that. Yeah, um, because we ran from Peter Maritzburg to Durban, the start line in Peter Maritzburg is very crowded. Mm. And you, I mean, you're pretty much just walking until you reach the start line. And, you, and the thing is the cutoffs are gun times. So nice. that's lost. That's lost time. That's dead time to you. So nice. you need to factor in um, that when you're planning your strategy. And for me, this was a crazy idea to enter this race. I'd only done two marathons, and Jared was keen to do it. And he said to me, "Well, you might as well do it too. If, if I'm going, and I, and I was going to travel there as well, he said you might as well try." So yeah. I thought, well, again, I'll just do the training and see what happens. I entered. Um, it sells out pretty quickly and it's very expensive to enter. So whatever, I'll just, you know, so I'll blow $300. So what? Um, but I, I got a training program. Kim Gillard um, wrote me a training program. Yeah. And I thought I'll just do the training, see how it goes. If I can't do it, I can't do it. If I get through the training, well then let's, let's head over and do the race. So I did the training and it went perfect. It was unbelievable. I, I didn't miss a single session. I had no injury problems. Um, I did my longest training. It was incredible. It never happens, you know, and everything just fell into place. And um, my longest training run was 60 kilometres. Okay. I was going to ask um, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was 60 k's. Yeah. So that's the furthest I had ever run at that okay. point. Um, that's a long way. <laughs> it, it is a long way and it's a lot of food you know stops and stuff too because um that's sort of you know when you're running for that long you can't just survive on gels or you need to start eating proper food like solid food um yes um 
particularly me, I can't, you know, gels are okay for, for, I can probably stomach three, but after that, I really struggle with them. So a lot yeah. of things like, um, you know, sandwiches, potatoes, potatoes are really, they were great, um, baked yeah. potatoes, okay. um, you know, lollies, Mars bars, anything that you could eat yeah. that would stay in. Basically, we tried a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it touched on the gels too. I think with that, I think, are they full of uh, fructose or something? I think that. And for, Yeah, and I'm highly yeah. sensitive to fructose, so I have to have yeah. gels. I look for gels um, that don't have any fructose in them because, the um, yeah. yeah, so I can only have non-fructose gels. Um, okay. Otherwise, I feel really, really sick and throw up. Yes. Which yeah. is not great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, comrades, was, um, I went over there and I didn't tell many people I was doing it, actually, because I was still a bit, you know, everyone knew Jared was doing it and, and I sort of kept it a bit quiet. I didn't want to have a whole bunch of people asking me a lot of questions about it at the time. Yes. And on the day, again, everything just went perfectly and it was it was like a dream, really. I I slept really well the night before. Um, we had to catch the bus at 3am to get to the start line and we went to bed really early, um, you know, like five o'clock in the afternoon or something to get a really good sleep. And I just slept really well and I had a, a, a dream, a vision in my dream of crossing the finish line because I'd practiced this mental image so much about me crossing the finish line. And um, I'm a big fan of visualising the finish line and, and crossing it and, and smiling and feeling happy. And oh, so wow. I had this image so embedded in my head that I was dreaming it that night and I woke up and I felt really calm. I didn't feel nervous. I just felt really calm and I thought, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. And I went into it with a strategy of like, for me, Jared was looking for a time. Okay. Um, if you, with comrades, um, each, uh, time so if you come in under six hours under seven hours under eight hours under nine hours under ten hours you get a different medal um, so the medal you get is determined by how fast you can run it um, I just wanted to finish for me my goal was to get in under 12 hours and I'd set myself a goal of 11 and a half hours to give myself some wiggle room and I worked out what my average pace needed to be so I could maintain an average pace because it is extremely hilly it's quite yeah. hard you can't you can't just say oh, I'm just going to run every kilometre, six minutes, for example. That's yeah. just not going to work. Because some, yes, because some are going to be, you know, some Ks are going to be slow and some Ks are going to be fast. And yeah. so I thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set myself an average pace and I'm going to use the first 20K to settle into that average pace. Okay. And after 20Ks, assess where, how I'm going. Um, I had my first aid station then and it just everything just went perfectly i got i clicked into my average pace really early and i just stuck right. on it and i just stuck to that and i just kept maintaining it i had three personal aid stations at 20 40 and 60 k's yes and then i had i knew i could run 60 and i just had to believe i could run the, the other 30 i just had to have a really strong belief in it and i okay. and i did and it was the last there's a big 20k hill at the end where you're just running downhill for about 20k's and it's a killer. It's really, oh, really right. tough on the legs. Um, no, and I'd, I'd done loads of loads yeah. of hill training, heaps of hill training and running uphill and downhill um, to practice for the downhills as well, which a lot of people don't necessarily do. We do a lot of uphill running, but running That's downhill, tough. yeah, you know, it's tough yeah. on your quads. Yeah. Um, 
and a lot of people were collapsing in that last 20 k's and just collapsing on the side of the road because their legs couldn't carry them anymore and I f that made me feel really strong when okay. when other people were collapsing and I was able to keep moving yeah crossing that oh. finish line I did it um my my gun time was um 11 31 Oh, wow. Okay. So, so yeah. That's that's, so, yeah. my net time was a little bit quicker, but the gun time's the only thing that matters because yeah. that's the cutoff time. Yeah. So, I pretty much nailed it. I was, I was really happy. Oh, <laughs> so, and that's that stubborn, that's that yeah. stubbornness as well. Like, I'd put a lot yeah. of effort into thinking about how I was going to approach it. And I'm, I'm not a fast runner, but I am very, very consistent. So, if I decide I'm going to stick on a pace, I stick on it. And I can sort of click into it and just maintain it without without having to look at my watch too much. So mm -hmm. it just worked perfectly on the day. And it's an incredible race. It's just the crowds or I mean it's it's like a national holiday. It's the the yeah. it's they get twenty million people watching it on TV. I was just gonna say it's a televised log into homes, isn't it? It's huge. Right. And people yeah. set up, you know, the whole day, um, they set up on their chairs outside their house to watch the runners go past. People have parties they just watch the comrades on tv and yeah. you know apart from the official aid stations and and all the running clubs and everything have aid stations there but people come out of the front of the house and they set up you know they'll, they're handing out food to you icy poles drinks cold drinks yeah. beer potatoes um you know and bananas fruit lollies the yeah. entire way there's just people know. cheering you on and helping you and and it's just incredible it's like a party the whole way yeah. And would you say that that's your biggest running achievement? Was that something that Without you're... a doubt. Yeah, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. That okay. was way and far beyond anything I could ever have imagined running. Um, yeah. Yeah, oh, and it yeah. just... Yeah, and the experience turned to run such a big, big event like that. It was yeah. just incredible. And you're walking around for the next few days, well, hobbling around... <laughs> And um, we actually went to Madagascar after, straight afterwards, which was quite amusing because we were trying to go hiking and we, we did some climbing and stuff and it was pretty tough. Well, um, I'm just thinking of the Disney movie right now. Yeah. <laughs> Madagascar. <laughs> yeah, so we were trying to hike and stuff and, and Madagascar is a very poor country and, and they were looking at us going, what's wrong with you? And we're like, oh, we just ran the comrades and they're like, the what? But in oh, South I'm Africa, you're like a a hero you know you walk down the street the next day and everyone's um, like you did comrades oh my god you're a hero oh you did they can tell just by looking um yeah. you know, oh you did comrades oh you did comrades so, so nice. it's huge yeah. um i can i suppose i can align with a few things you said there um i've done a few big events and there's nothing quite like it is there like uh, millions just, of people watching yeah. um it's just it's just next level like I, i'd recommend anyone listening um do a big international marathon. Yep. You yep. won't regret it and you'll have uh, memories for the rest of your life. Like yep. It is amazing. Um, you were the first ever female president of Athletics Tasmania. I was. That is an amazing achievement. Uh, can you tell the listeners how that came about or were you a board member to start off with? Or Yeah, so... Um... I was, um, it, it came about because I was um, the race director or co-race director for the City to Casino Fun Run for 10 years. And um, after I'd been doing that for a while with Hayden Nielsen, um, Athletics Tasmania were looking for a new out-of-stadium coordinator. So that's the person on the board at the time who took care of the out-of-stadium events, which is things like the marathon, the road events, um, state 
you know, the 10K road race, that kind of thing, um, cross country. And so they approached me um, being involved in sort of organising events, I guess, um, would I be interested? Uh, so yeah, so at that stage I, I joined the board as a out of stadium commissioner um, and spent a few years doing that. So that was state cross country, um, that sort of thing. And then we went through a governance restructure um, that was pretty much dictated <laughs> to us. Um, okay. When you're a sporting body and you're reliant on funding, um, funding often comes with conditions. Well, it always comes with conditions. Okay. So it's sort of like, here's your money, but you have to do these things if you want to have the money. And, you know, athletics, it's, it's a sport that struggles to attract money. Um, we don't have a lot of sponsors and being in Tasmania, it's really hard to get corporate sponsorship. And so any kind of government funding that we get is very, um, very valuable. So um, we went through a governance process where we had to overhaul our constitution and change our board structure so that it was um, in line with modern board structures and what the Australian Sports Commission were recommending. Okay. Also Athletics Australia were involved in that as well. So um, after that went through, we had to um, start again with the board. So we had to have some new elections. And at that stage was when I was uh, elected to the board as a board member. Okay. And then the board members themselves um, elected me as chair, which effectively is the president of the organisation. And at the time, I didn't realise that I was the first female president. Um, I knew that the presidents before me, Mike Gunson, Brian Rowe, um, hadn't really given it much thought beyond that. Um, but it was really because the men's and women's associations used to be different. Um, they, they were separate. Um, okay. And so I was the first president, female president of the, you know, the one body of athletics in Australia, in Tasmania. So, um, yeah, it, still, it didn't really dawn on me till the media started contacting me and saying, you know, you're the first female president. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's a changing of the guard, isn't it? So. Yeah, and it wasn't... Um, for me, it just felt like a natural progression because I had been involved with the steering committee um, to make those changes. And um, so I felt that I was really across um, the new constitution and the new governance. And I wanted to, I guess, see it bedded in with the new policies and the modern structure just to make sure that I sort of saw it through. Okay. Um, so yeah, um, held that role. Um, so I was the president for, I think, four years. Um, and I stepped away last October. Um, there's a lot of work involved. It's all voluntary and it takes a lot of time. Um, there's a lot of, you know, dealing with not just administrative stuff, but also government. Um, and I needed to spend more time with my family, with my parents. Um, yes. So that was a decision I made. Um, family always comes first for me. So yeah, and athletics will always be there if I if I decide to come back. Um, and I am still, you know, involved in volunteering. I'm I'm always, you know, still going to volunteer um, to help okay. out. It's just that um, that time, that extra time. I just didn't have it. I needed to be spending that with my family, and I needed to yeah. um, travel with my mum to Melbourne um, okay. to, for medical reasons. So yeah, that was that was my reason for stepping away. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's that's totally that's totally fair enough. I love that value. I'm I'm a very family person too. It's it's very close to my heart as well. Mm. So, um, and I, I'm um, someone yeah. once said to me, I 
I did a, um, a couple of amazing weekend sessions um, in Melbourne with a, um, a leadership coach there and she was really incredible and very, um, she sat on some very high profile boards and she said, you need to do one thing and do it well. So don't spread yourself too thin. And I have found that in the past when I was, um, you know, I was studying at uni, I was also working, I was also doing City Casino, I was doing Cabri Marathon, um, I was on the board at AT and it was a whole lot of stuff and busy, busy. It, it's just too much. You can't, you've, you end up not doing anything particularly well when yeah. there's too much going on. So um, over the years, I've really paired it back to choosing what you want to focus on for now um, and try and do the best you can at that. Okay, great, great. Um, I, I want to touch on a few. Uh, did did you find being the president? Did you find that role stressful with having to put up with uh, parents of athletes and and people who would put in complaints and and that sort of thing? And it's not most of the time it's out of your hands anyway, isn't it? Did you find that really exhausting? Um, we didn't have a lot of that to deal with um you know there's with sport there's always people that are that are agitators or people who don't like the way things are um it's it's hard because you you do rely heavily on volunteers almost completely on volunteers and so you have to have um it's not like in a workplace where you have expectations of what the people you're paying should be doing and how they should um what they should um, be delivering to you. When you're working with volunteers, uh, you have to have a bit of give and take there. I mean, they're doing it, they're giving you their time for free. So yes. um, you do have to turn, probably put up with a little bit of, you know, um, whinging and moaning, I guess. But no, it's not. On the whole, there's yeah. a lot of great people involved and yes. they're just, you know, there's people that have been there for decades and they've given their heart and soul to the sport and they... Without those people, the event, the, you know, Saturday competitions, they just wouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, so on the whole, I, I found that people were good. They were there for the right reasons. Right. Um, and anything sort of complaint-wise generally goes through, um, it, it goes through executive officer first before it comes yeah. to the board. Okay. Um, yeah, and there's processes in, in place for that sort of thing. You know, there's a complaints process. There's a, we have member protection officers to advise on how that works. Um, and that would be their first port of call to make sure it goes through there. And, you know, community sport and recreation, um, they would get involved if, if you know, they needed to, um, that sort of thing. So, yeah, the board would only get involved if, um, okay. I guess, just to be kept appraised of what was happening. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not something the board makes a decision on. No. Um, those things are very um, dealt with very objectively. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Um, we, we touched on uh, the clubs are screaming out for runners. Um, what are your thoughts on this at the moment? Uh, is athletics growing or is it not growing? What do you think? It's not growing. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a conundrum because running is booming. Running is absolutely booming. Park run is booming. Recreational running is booming. We're going through this second wave of just people getting involved um, and participating, and yet athletics is not. Um, and I think it really needs to evolve. Um, you can't 
do the same thing for 20 years, 30 years, and expect it people to, you know, the numbers to grow. Um, people exactly. change, their, people's lifestyles have changed dramatically. The amount of free time they have has changed dramatically. Um, the amount of sports that kids do has changed dramatically. You know, most kids now, they're doing two, three, four different things. Um, whereas, you know, when I was growing up, kids would just do one thing maybe. Um, they always, they have all these other extracurricular activities. Um, the parents are busy. Yeah. People don't want to spend the whole day at the athletics track, for example. Um, it's a whole day. It's, it's a whole day. Yeah, and people are looking for something different out of it. I think um, it really needs to um, evolve and, and look at the product offering and we need to find a happy medium between offering the traditional athletics for people who still want to do that um, because there's a lot of value in that. Those core skills that you learn through athletics are so relevant to almost every other sport. You know, they, especially for kids when they're learning running, jumping, throwing, those, those translate to so many other sports where you do those things. Um, so that pathway still needs to be there. But we need to also offer something for those, for those people who don't necessarily want to go, go through a traditional athletics. You know, they're, they're not looking to get a, um, a qualification for some event or whatever. They just want to do some exercise and have fun. So yeah, um, Not we also need to, yeah, yeah that, that's right. And yeah. um, that sort of model. So, um, you know, Parkrun have... Um, got an agreement with Athletics Australia to work together. Um, I think there's still a fair bit of work to be done there um, in I how that... that. I said the perfect opportunity, like... Yeah, so they, they got together, they signed that a couple of years ago. Um, okay. And, you know, we've seen some clubs try and take advantage of that by, you know, going to parkrun, offering pace runners and that sort of thing. So they can offer, offer those services that a lot of parkrunners wouldn't have had the opportunity to run with a pacer before. Okay. Um, but to try and encourage them to maybe try cross country, it's yeah. it's a it's a really good progression for people doing parkrun. Um, it's a similar distances, um, but it's fun. It's yeah. a similar atmosphere. Um, you know, it's not. It's we talked about it before. It's it's you know welcoming to new people, but also you get to run somewhere different um, rather than the same course all the time, and maybe challenge yourself against some different people. I think the other thing they need to really sort out is the pathway for juniors into seniors. Um, some states have done that now um, since, yeah. you know, Athletics Australia and Little Athletics announced their merger last year. Um, some of the states have already fully implemented that. So that's, that's good for us because it's a model for us to look at to see what works and what doesn't work. Yes. Um, but if we can get that sorted out, that'll help a lot too, because you're losing kids between those two pathways when they finish at Little Ass. And a lot of people don't understand that Little Athletics yeah. is a completely separate organisation. Yeah. Um, so oh, there's no, yeah, there's no cohesiveness there. So you need to sort that out as well. Well, I've been, I've been involved with entering Tasmanian championships since I was you know, grade, grade three, maybe. Um, and there's only one runner left. And I'm I'm 35 now, and that's Daniel Clark. So <laughs> starting right from that time. So that's a, I mean we're probably passionate and we love the sport, but that's a, I mean that's a key, isn't it? Like mm. what's happening to these people to drop out and, and mm. not enjoying it? Is it? Yeah. I mean I think you've nailed everything. What you said there is is perfect. So I think um, it's actually now at the moment while everyone's having a break from organised. 
um, participation events. It's and and people are trying new things. Um, we've had to evolve quite quickly in offering virtual events and that sort of thing. Yes. It's a good time to have a think about when we get back to participating together, what other models can we implement? Because we've shown that, um, okay, I mean, this is unprecedented that we would have to cancel everything, but it doesn't mean the end of exercise. It doesn't mean the end of running or athletics. So it's right. a good time to take stock and think about when we come back, well, do we just come back with the same old, same old or do we tweak it? Do we keep offering some of these alternatives so that people can continue to participate? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you're part of Sandy Bay. Are you Sandy Bay? Yeah, I'm with Sandy Bay Harriers. Yeah. Uh -huh. So Jared's been a Sandy Bay um, wow. member wow. his whole life. So <laughs> it was a natural for me. I couldn't go to a different club. Um, <laughs> I'm not a track runner at all. I've, I've never participated in a track race, but I do yeah. love cross country. So um yeah. that's the yeah, beauty of your sport though isn't it you yeah you choose what discipline and, and and if you're listening out there um think about joining a club but I, I think if you're going to join a club join ova not um <laughs> not, not sandy bay but, but do you know honestly, what just go where your friends are exactly right <laughs> just go where your friends are and that's the the other thing is you know it doesn't matter if you're in a different club i've got friends right. that you know i talked into joining that are in a different club um you know, when we go to cross country, it's, yeah, you're all in your club colours, but it doesn't matter. We go out no. for coffee afterwards, you yeah. know, you're going with people from other clubs and, you know, yeah. it's it's more of a family than anything. It's not, you know, they're yeah. there and we're here and we're never the twain shall meet. It's, you know, if someone doesn't bring their tent that week or you just go and use some other clubs, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. No, good, 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 good point. I love it. And and you touched on uh, Tasmanian Roadrunners. You're one of the founding members of that. Did I you? Am. Yeah, did you want to talk a little bit more about that as well? Yeah, so um, I have been involved with Tasmanian Roadrunners since the start. Um, Jay and Jemina, who were the co-presidents when it started up, they approached me at the time I was um, still on the board at Athletics Tasmania. And they contacted me one day and said, um, would you, we'd like to meet with you. We've got something we'd like to discuss with you, which sounded very formal and official. And I was a little bit concerned. I thought, oh, what's this about? <laughs> this is a bit, um, you know, unusual. We're just mates. Um, and I went and met them and they'd had developed an incredible um, proposal, really put a whole business plan together around this concept of the Tasmanian Roadrunners. And it, it stemmed from their own experiences of being new runners um, and not knowing where to go for information, not, not having um, the benefit like I did of, of knowing people in the running community who could help you with training or give you tips or even trying to find out what races were on and where and, and that sort of information. Um, we didn't have a, something as simple as a calendar of all the events around Tasmania. You know, you had to kind of know word of mouth. So they'd... Um, they'd done an enormous amount of work putting this proposal together and it just looked incredible to me it was exactly the right time um, athletics Taz was thinking about how they connect with the recreational running community more and so it was perfect timing and I said guys I think this is you're absolutely onto a winner here this is something there's a void in Tasmania at the moment for this um, and this is a great, who, yeah, that's right. And like I said, they'd put a lot of work into this yeah. proposal. It wasn't a, you know, a scribble on a bit of paper. Oh, what if we did a running club? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Like they'd thought through everything, you know, yeah. membership models and how it was going to work and what they were going to do and what they were going to offer. And 
Right. So I worked with them um, to develop a proposal to become affiliated with Athletics Tasmania, um, which would enable them to have insurance coverage um, and also be recognised as uh, the recreational running arm for Athletics Tasmania. So to leverage off some of the resources um, and experience there um, and try and get some cross-pollination between, for example, cross-country clubs and the recreational running community. Okay. So starting, going on then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, when we did the launch at Cadbury, so um, that was amazing. <laughs> um, it went so much better than we could have anticipated. Um, a lot more people signed up than what we thought, um, which really was proof that there was that gap there that needed to be filled. Yeah. And in the early days, um, I just continued to really just give advice now and then on certain matters, you know, a lot of procedural stuff really, but you know, they'd run ideas past me and um, really just providing a bit of a, a mentorship, I guess, um, and doing some volunteering. I've always been volunteering at all sorts of things. So, um, and then this year um, I came onto the committee in an official role, which I hadn't been able to do before because I was with Athletics Tasmania, so that was a conflict. Um, and so now I'm just a general committee member just helping out with planning and strategic planning and, and um, mostly coordinating volunteers. Okay, yeah, great. For great. events, yeah. And I guess also I was, you know, provide a lot of um, uh, liaison between race directors and the Tasmanian Roadrunners because I'd been a race director for the City Casino and Cadbury Marathon um, and also you know, I knew a lot of the other race directors in Tasmania pretty well. Um, yes. So a liaison between them and, and TRR to work out how TRR could best support events. Okay, so mm. this is great. I, I love this whole picture. You're um, <laughs> like Mrs Athletics, which is awesome. Uh, is are you still involved in organising those events still or? I'm not. Um, so I did 10 years with the City Casino and then that um, it started to really encroach on my paid work. <laughs> yeah, um, like right. we talked about, I do have a job. Um, when I started, yeah, when I started doing um, the event management with Hayden for City Casino, you know, things were a lot easier back then. We still had manual timing. We didn't even have electronic timing. And yeah, I, I remember those days, yeah. You know, yeah. you got a piece of paper when you cross the finish yeah. line. Um, you yeah. know, we did, uh, only the top 10 place getters got a medal. It was that sort of thing, you know, but now um, the amount of logistics and planning that goes into an event, you start six months in advance with the planning. Yeah. And there's meetings with the police and there's meetings with traffic management and there's, you know, there's permits to get from the council and you have to get um, your insurance, but you can't get your insurance until you have your police permit. You can't get your police permit until you've got an email from three different council traffic engineers to say that you're allowed to use their road. And then you need to get a permit from the state government because you want to use a highway. And then, you know, there's, there's so many permits and things going on and with, um, the anti-terrorism so the requirements for road closures and public safety increased so um, there's more planning around that you know how do you keep participants in, who are in a big group how do you keep them safe at the start line so cars don't drive into them that sort of thing so every year it gets more and more difficult and it just takes a lot of time and um, it was getting to the stage where I couldn't actually do it properly because um, 
well, I work and I just couldn't get to all the meetings. It yeah. was a matter of just, yeah, practicalities. Yeah. Um, and with Cadbury, I did that for three years. Um, and one of those years I did it in joint with Richard Welsh, who was the, yeah. he had managed Cadbury for a very long time. And then he had to step away while he did another role for a while. And I took Cadbury on then. And um, then when Richard was available again, he went back to Cadbury and we still, I still work every year at Cadbury. I just love right. it. It's a great event. It it's, is. Yeah. It's so unique. It's yeah. um, again, there's so much planning going into that, you know, everything apart from all those logistics stuff, there's things like you have to shore up all your sponsors well in advance before you open entries, you have to know who your sponsors are going to be and what you're going to offer and, and work out your merchandise and what prices and, you know, you get the balance right for ordering medals and bibs and yeah. all that sort of thing. And it's, it's, I'm well aware of all that stuff, but anyone listening, uh, you just turn up, don't you? And you think, oh, this is great. You know, this is probably organised four weeks out or whatever. Yeah. Um, like you said, it's, uh, it, it takes a lot of hard work. And these people, even on race day, like I know you guys, you start at 3 a.m. for Cadbury yep. or 2 a.m. Yep. or something stupid. Yep. Yeah. And then, and then what? You're, you're still there till 2 o'clock in the afternoon? Yep. Yeah, so that's you know, <laughs> it's a long day. Yeah, yeah, of, of doing. You know, you've really got to love the sport to do that. So, to be able to have guys like you in this sport is is everything. Um, it's just know. worth it on the day because yeah. even though it's it's it is so much hard work and um, you know, it's why I keep volunteering at events and it's why I keep volunteering at events like Cabri and the Point to Pinnacle. I've been organising the finish line um, on the day, organising volunteers and sort of managing that flow on the day for the point to pinnacle for a number of i don't know maybe six seven years now i can't even remember it's just when you see people cross the finish line and it reminds me of how i felt when i crossed the finish line in my first fun run and my first half marathon and my first marathon and my first ultra marathon <laughs> like the look on you're sharing that moment with them you just can't replace that feeling and it's worth yeah. all the work because you see so right. many happy people yeah and and they're just, oh, I've never had so many sweaty hugs as at the end of the point. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm asking you a couple over the years too. <laughs> and I'm very good at spotting someone who's about to collapse too. I've got that down pat now. I can tell the uh, the glassy eyes and the, and the wobble in the legs. And I think, yep, they're going to go. So I go in for the catch. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it's, it is totally <laughs> worth it because if people don't volunteer, um, you know, I've had so much, so many good experiences in running if yeah. people don't volunteer, then we don't have great events because the great events are put on by great people. And Jared feels the same way too. He's been volunteering for a long time now as well because as he said, well, I did athletics since I was 11 or 12 and every week, you know, the people that trained me, um, the people that were there every weekend, raking the pits, getting the tracks set up, packing up and all that stuff, I owe them. I owe all the other people. People did it for me for years. Now it's time yeah. to give back. Yeah. Um, and I think when, when events are finally back after all of this COVID-19 is out of the way, if you're, not, if you're not running, please volunteer and you'll just get so much satisfaction out of it. And you're part of the event then too. Yeah, you are. And it's great. It's a great community. It's, it's a different way to be involved in an event too, like you said. And, and we're, I just, I'm just so grateful for people like you. I personally, I need to give back more. And, and, and it is something I want to do down the track for sure. As long as you're, as long as you're competing, you need to keep doing that though. You know, yeah. like, you know, for now, Jared's doing a lot of volunteering because he can't race anymore. But, um, yeah. 
you know, for mm -hmm. me, I'm not, I'm not so fussed about, um, you know, I've done a lot of uh, events overseas um, and interstate. Um, yeah, I'd love to run more local events probably, but it's more meaningful for me to help on the day because I know um, what I can help with. I know what um, areas I can really offer something. And, and whether yeah, whether whether I go for a run on my own or with you know I'm not interested in collecting medals and stuff. I'd rather help and, and help the event run smoothly. Yeah. And and you talked about how we are so lucky to have so many of these people. We've got you look at the events and look at the size of our state. We've got some awesome events. Um, we have people come all over the the nation and the world to do now, and mm -hmm. and it's because of you guys. And we should be just so proud of that. Like I just think it's. I just think it's awesome. So yeah, I think we have great events too, and like yeah. I said, it's great people put on great events and great volunteers do yeah. that. And and from a race director perspective, from when I was doing that, believe me, we do not underestimate the value of our volunteers. We absolutely love them, and they are we yeah. could not put those events on without them. So your contribution is very much noticed. So if you're listening and and you know you want to volunteer, that is, I suppose you're screaming out for them some days, aren't you? Yep, we are. Yeah. And when yeah. there's events coming up, Tasmanian Road Runners will always advertise for volunteers when we're looking for them. And what we do is liaise with the race directors and say, what do you need help with? What yeah. can we what can we offer you? Um, you know, and they'll let us know, well, we need a drink station table attended or we need people to do marshalling or we need people to help with bib pickup and that kind of thing. And we'll try and coordinate that for them. And yeah, and, and, and give their Facebook page a like too, just some of the Tasmanian Road Runners and, and you can find out all that information and it's run by some great people so traveling here and this is something that i'm looking forward to talk about yeah. because as well so restrictions <sighs> somewhere that things might not get back to 2023 <sighs> um yeah tell me tell me some stuff about your traveling experiences and it doesn't have to be running either traveling is uh it's my favorite thing it's yeah. um i love to travel i um, I have itchy feet all the time. Um, I'm pretty much ready to go. If you gave me 20 minutes notice, I would be ready for an international flight. Um, <laughs> I know exactly where my passport is and my backpack and I know what to pack. And I'm, I'm a really um, gun packer. I will say that I can pack really <laughs> well. Um, last year I spent, um, I had to go to India for a wedding and uh, we spent two weeks there and I did okay. it all with carry on luggage. Yeah. Um, so I've got it down to an art, but, Travelling, yeah, I was gutted. It was one of the things that really impacted me the most this year was the travelling being cut down because um, being completely cut off because we were planning to go to Galapagos this year um, and Ecuador. Okay. But, you know, such is life. It's not going to yeah. happen. So um, now we're planning, um, hopefully interstate travel will open up right. by, by around September and we're planning to go and walk the Larapinta Trail. Right. Um, there are still some great places in Australia that we can travel to. So that was plan B. Yeah. Whereabouts is that? I haven't, I haven't actually heard of that. So. In Northern Territory. Yeah. Okay. So that's a two week hike. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. and I love deserts. I really love deserts. We both do. So, um, okay. you know, some of the deserts that we've traveled to in, um, so in Jordan, we went to Wadi Rum, which is the whole Lawrence of Arabia sort of desert. Um, we went there and we, we walked through the desert for three days and it with some Bedouins and at night we just slept on the sand on blankets, okay. <laughs> um, just under the stars. It was amazing. Um, 
in Iran. Iran is one of my favourite countries. Um, we went to Iran a few years ago and it was spectacular. The, the people are incredibly welcoming. It's just in their culture to welcome guests. Okay. And everywhere we went, people were saying, thank you for coming to our country or we love that you come to our country. And people wanted us to go to their houses and people were giving us food everywhere. And you'd walk into a restaurant and everyone would go, sit with us, sit with us. And, you know, we'd go to a bakery and they'd be giving us biscuits. and they wouldn't take our money. They're just giving you stuff all the time. They're just so grateful to, it's in their culture to give, but um, they're beautiful, beautiful people. And um, the, just the architecture and, and the, the ancient cities there and the, the deserts that we saw there too. But also there's some lush rainforests in yeah. Iran. It's not all dry and deserty like people, I think, have an image of it. Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> um, like Iran hasn't been the safest country. It's got a history of you know a lot of stuff going on did you feel unsafe never no okay. never so when we went um it was about four years ago and there were no travel warnings um it, oh. it's you know a, a sort of a you know travel with caution type of place but we've been to plenty yeah. of those um yeah. <clears throat> there was no active conflict going on there at the time and there hadn't been for quite a long time um yeah there's they're they're under sanctions um from the us um which is difficult for them but within the country, we never felt, in fact, I, I felt extraordinarily safe. Um, I felt very safe walking around at night. I felt very safe travelling on, on our own. Um, we did have a translator a lot of the time because neither of us speak Farsi. <laughs> and, um, and very little is in English and very few people speak English. But um, people still found a way to, you know, we'd be waiting for the bus and our translator would go off to get a ticket and he'd come back and we were had disappeared and he'd find us sitting on a blanket with a family having cups of tea and the biscuits, oh. <laughs> even though none of us spoke a, a, a joint language and, and yeah. they'd be just wanting to, to share everything with wow. us. So, no, I, was ex if, I felt really safe. And um, I don't think I've ever been anywhere where I did feel unsafe. Um, yeah. I think it's just about choosing. Even, you know, when we're in Africa, it's in Kenya and... Um, places Uganda just choosing where you go I mean there's unsafe places in Australia yeah where, where you wouldn't go so you just stick clear of those places and um, yeah and I don't think you can get into too much trouble and we're not traveling to any active war zones no. um, or anything no. like that yeah, <laughs> um, yeah do so know, do you know how many countries you've been to do you, do you know uh, yeah. uh, it's roughly I don't know maybe 40 yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah, great. maybe forty. I don't. I don't really have an accurate count. Um, yeah. And we've yeah. been to. There's a few places we've been to multiple times, like South Africa. Um, been to India four times. Yeah. Um, okay. India's about India. So many good things. Yeah, India's a place that really gets under your skin, um, and I mean that in a good way. Um, it's very, very extreme and you either love it or hate it it's yeah. it's pretty much black and white you're going to get there and you're going to go i can't deal with this or you're going to go oh wow i love it and it's crazy yeah. it's noisy it's smelly it's dirty it's vibrant it's colorful it's yeah. um it's like nowhere else and after our first visit there we really didn't want to come home and okay. we went back two more times to visit different parts of the country because traveling is very slow in india try and travel with the locals as much as possible so that's by bus and train right which is very very slow traveling on the on the ground but it's also 
a great way to travel because you're just meeting people the whole time and traveling with families and it's yeah. just more fun. And, and like, you know, if you can get on the bus for 30 cents, why would you pay $300 for a flight? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we like traveling by, by yeah. road. Um, it's all, it's all experience. <laughs> it's yeah. Experience to get all you can, but it's, you and know. we went back last year for the fourth time. We went for a wedding, and I, I kind of thought, well, am I going to be over it? Like, am I going to? This is our fourth time in India. Is it, am I just going to go? Yeah. Oh, I can't deal with it anymore. But when I got there, I was like, nah, I still love it. <laughs> right. I still um, love it. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I, from from what I've been told, there's <clears throat> a very affluent side, and there's poverty as well. Mm -hmm. um, did you find that? Did you find that hard? witnessing you know kids on the street or whatever um, not really um and that might sound harsh but look it's a country um with a with a population that size um there is going to be a massive divide between people who are wealthy and people who are living in poverty um we when we were in mumbai the first time we traveled um we actually went with a local um into the biggest slum called Daravi. Okay. And it was it was incredible actually how resourceful these people are. Um, you th when you hear slum, you think dirty, cardboard boxes, that sort of thing. And it wasn't like that at all. I mean, this was a mini city and they had industries in there. They had recycling factories, they had clothes factories, they had schools, they had a little doctor. Um, their houses were very, very clean. They were very rudimentary, but you know, just because you're poor doesn't mean you don't have pride. And yeah. I'm just amazed at how they managed to, to walk around looking pristine all the time in their beautiful clothes. Right. And I was just filthy every day. <laughs> you know, I'd put clean clothes on in the morning and by, you know, within an hour I'd be covered in dirt. And I think, how do they stay clean? I don't understand. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, and there are, you have to be a bit aware to the scams and that sort of thing. There are a lot of kids in Mumbai are used for begging um, okay. and it's a bit of a, you know, they, they come and they, they do the whole begging thing and then you see them eating ice creams and eating takeaway food and stuff. So it's, they should be in school. And, and that's the thing, if you're giving yeah. them money, you're encouraging them to beg because it's more okay. lucrative for them than to go to school yeah. and get an education. So well, I think if you really- Sometimes an education as well. <laughs> yeah, so if you wanna really help out, you're better off making a sizable donation to a school Okay. Or, a, or a medical centre rather than to individuals. And it's the same in Africa when we were there. You know, you're better off buying, you know, a few sacks of rice and donating it to a school so they can feed their kids rather than just handing yep. out random bits of money to to individuals because you're just encouraging them in, in, to beg from people and to not go okay. to school and, and perhaps better themselves. So yeah. it's, it's, it's not nice. It's never nice seeing people who don't have... Um, access to you know um, health services or good infrastructure that is challenging and I think for India a place like that the biggest challenge is infrastructure yeah. running water and electricity and um, yeah. sanitation you know and that's when you get the disease happening but yeah yeah what can you do um, when you're there like I say find out the best way if you want to help um, find out reputable ways to donate and help yeah, that's a good tip. That's a really good tip. I could talk travelling all day. Yeah, I so could I. <laughs> <laughs> but what are some of your favourite places to run? Uh, 
I'm going to say outside. I'm going to say within Australia, though. Within Australia, yes. Yeah. So um, it's been really killing me that I haven't been able to travel down to my shack at Eagle Hawk Neck. Okay. Um, yeah. So I have a couple of running routes down there that I absolutely love to do, and one's a hill hill route so that's running uh, anyone who's familiar with eagle hawk neck know there's a there's a great big hill <laughs> um <laughs> coming down towards the neck so i like to run up that hill and then back down um there's a, a sort of a winding road back down it's a seven kilometer circuit and so i'll do that regularly sort of maybe one two three four times depending okay. on what i'm training for um so i really i've really learned to love running up that the hill section is two kilometers uphill and it's just a nice, long, steady slog uphill. And then when you get to yeah. the top, it opens out into this amazing view um, wow. over, over towards Cape Hoy. So yeah. it's, it's like a reward for doing all the hard work. And yeah. I, never get, I never get sick of it. Every time I run to the top of that hill, I see that view and I just immediately forget the hill I just ran up and I just never get sick oh, of that man. view. And yeah. there's a couple of other places down there I just love to run. Jared will drop me off. Um, on the side of the road and drive out to a point and just let me run and pick me up at the end. And I love <laughs> running anywhere like that that's near water where you've got water yeah. views um, and not a lot of traffic. I think, yeah. um, where else? Um, and Eagle Hawk Neck, uh, if you're not aware, it's, it's a very rough terrain. It's actually where the, the uh, well, was it the colonial settlement, Port Arthur? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so parts of the Three Capes track, I've um, I've run sections of those. I mean, I've walked the track before it became the Three Capes track. We've done those walks lots of times, but I've also run a lot of those sections, yeah. um, which is, I really enjoy that too, because um, it's just so pretty. And uh, I do love trail running as much as road running. Okay, I was going to say, I was going to ask that. Uh, you like your trails? I love trails um, and I love bushwalking. We do a lot of bushwalking, um, but I, I love road running too. I love them both. Um, I don't think one is any better than the other. I think they're just different. And when I run on the road, um, I'm probably, you know, I'm looking to run faster. I'm looking to run, um, for me, it's to strengthen my body more as well because I have hypermobility. So um, I do need to manage um the impact on my joints but okay. so if I run too much on the trail I get a bit weak <laughs> I think because it's too soft but um you know trails are hard but it's a different it's that you know the surface um, yeah. I've actually enjoyed it's one thing I've enjoyed about this lockdown although I've struggled with a lot of it the parts I've enjoyed is that having um been confined to just running around Hobart because I can only run near home yeah. I've run so many road courses that I've never run before. So, you know, where I'd normally go and do my long run, I'd either be down at my shack, so I'd do it down there, or I'd maybe go up to the pipeline track or somewhere like that. Yeah. I've had to do all my running on the road. So my long runs on Sundays have been a real sort of adventure of going out the door with no plan of where I'm going to run. And I just go wherever I feel like it so well, that's I just, a good way to look at it I think yeah and it's been that. really fun because I just run and I go oh I'll go up this street oh I might I wonder where this street goes and I'll just run up there yeah. and I'll just run somewhere else and then I just keep running and I sort of roughly work out okay well I better start heading back towards home now and right. <laughs> it's just been really it's it adds that fun back into it of yes making it a bit more adventurous and not just going out for some slog along the road and, you know, seeing different things and taking, 
different views of Hobart that I hadn't seen before or maybe forgotten about or um, that's actually been really enjoyable. So I've sort of embraced that. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And and you've been running for a lot of years now and you've been in mm-hmm. all these committees and, and race directing and mm-hmm. what's your one piece of advice that you that you give to someone starting out? To someone starting out, um, just do it and just be consistent. I think um, it's easy when you start to think, oh, running's really hard, I can't do it. Um, You just need to plug away at it and be consistent and walking is totally part of running. When you're starting, walking is part of running. No one can just, when they're starting out, can just walk out the door and run two, three, four, five kilometres. No one does that unless they've got some, you know, really good fitness from another sport or they've if you're if you're a brand new runner you're going to have to walk a bit and that is absolutely fine and that is absolutely what most people need to do so just do it do it regularly um, do it consistently and don't try and do too much too soon it's really easy to get carried away once you start feeling good after four or five weeks Um, don't do too much too soon because you'll get injured and once you've started running you've got the rest of your life yeah, exactly. To keep to keep doing it. So don't rush into doing too much. Um, yeah. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy what you're doing. I've got a few runners I coach and that's the hardest thing is, yeah. is pulling the reins back and, and saying, yeah. mm, that, that's you know, what's, what's put down the program is, is what you do. Um, yeah, yeah, you don't need to go from, you know, 5K to a marathon in a year. That's... No, no. No, you know, give yourself two or three years of running fives and tens yeah. before you step up get some really good miles in your legs and some strength and stability there and, you know, graduate slowly and you're going to have a better experience. I think I know so many um, beginner runners who went out and got overexcited and did too much too soon. And then they get those silly niggly injuries like shin splints or, you know, Achilles injuries that could have been avoided. So, yeah. I, I like to call it like a house. So the first year or so is like building a base, mm, build mm. your walls, and then yeah, you know you got that base, and you can add whatever you want to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Time. Yeah, I, I, th- I think they're great. Um, banter. <laughs> so when I say banter, uh, which banter of runners that you've ran with over the years that you really enjoy? Well. <laughs> You know, um, anytime Jay and Jemina and Jared get together, they can't help themselves, especially Jay and Jared. They love to stir each other up. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we always have fun. And uh, the guys in at the running edge, they just have a great vibe in there and they're always taking the piss out of each other, but in a way that's really, you can tell they also care about each other. So they've got a really good balance of having fun, you know, not taking themselves too seriously, but also really having each other's back and, yeah. and making sure that people who come in feel welcome. I really like the vibe that they have there. And I've spent a lot of time there over the years handing out race bibs. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I've seen them at work <laughs> yeah. a lot. Yeah. And during the, the Wednesday night running groups. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's always fun. Right, and that, and that's and, and if you're based in Hobart, it's very similar to the Devonport and Launceston models. It's a twenty minutes out and twenty minutes back, and mm-hmm. 
the quarter to six or something like yep, that? Yeah, quarter that to six, yeah, at the running edge. Yeah. So, yeah, anyone's welcome, beginners. It doesn't matter. Because it's 20 minutes out and back, it doesn't matter how far you go, whether you do, you know, 6Ks, 8Ks, 10Ks, it's up to you. Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, some values. Yeah, family's important. I think yeah. um, for me, um, <laughs> one of my favourite sayings of all time is, it's not illegal to be an asshole, but it is counterproductive. Yep, like it. That's so it. for me, I, don't be an asshole. <laughs> it doesn't achieve anything, um, and it, it's it's just not going to get you anywhere. And like I say, it's not illegal, but it is counterproductive. Um, I think people who behave that way, uh, it helps them to feel superior or. Perhaps they just don't know how to manage their emotions very well and they need to deal with the situation, but it just doesn't get you anywhere. It's a waste of time and effort. So just find another way to resolve your issue or let it go. Um, that's probably something else for me too is this with your emotions, that they belong to you. So choose how you use them and don't waste them on things that don't matter. Yeah. So don't, you know, we, we have this culture now of outrage and people getting outraged at things that someone says on social media or comments on a news story or what have you. And I mean, you only have to look at those pages like Vigilante News and, and pages like that. And it's just, I find it really amusing how worked up people will get in a conversation with someone they don't even know. Yeah. yeah Why like, don't, don't waste your emotional energy on oh. people people or situations that are not important to you, you know, save it for the people, your friends and family that really need you and for situations that actually need you to put that investment in. Otherwise you're just wasting your own energy. Great. That's, that's awesome. I really like that. I, I like how you've worded that. That's yeah. Uh, and also, you know, if you, if you think about it that way, then it makes it a lot easier to accept that, not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going to agree with you. And yeah. sometimes people don't like a decision that you've made or they don't like the way that you've done something. It's totally fine. Um, yeah. You know, that's fine. I can respect other people's opinion. I don't have to let it affect me. Um, that's yeah. my choice. Yeah. Great. Perfect. Uh, closing out, um, I think we're getting towards the end of this whole COVID-19 thing. <laughs> How are you coping with that? Are you? Oh, I hope so. Um, yeah, when we started, I thought, oh, this is not going to be too bad. Um, yeah. yeah, it kind of sucks that everything's been cancelled, but, you know, whatever. I, I can deal with that. Um, you know, I quite like being on my own. I'm a solo runner mostly. I mostly run on my own in the mornings and I'm, I'm quite happy with my own company. So I thought that I'd be okay. And as it's gone on, I've, I'm starting to struggle. <laughs> I just, I didn't realise how much I would miss being around people. Um, I really hate working from home. I, I just, my job is usually um, talking to a lot of people and being around my work colleagues. I really miss them. Um, it's just not the same being talking to people on on Skype all day. And I miss those interactions with people who are not in my immediate work circle, but I do see at work. Um, and yeah. I miss just having random chats with my friends over a coffee and a walk after a run, you know, I, I miss that going for a run, having a coffee afterwards. Um, yeah, I've really missed that. And I've, I've felt a bit claustrophobic about not being able to get out into the national parks and on the water and yeah. um, getting away because I, I, I am someone who likes to get out on the weekend and we're usually doing something, but 
Um, so I've had, you know, I've had the odd day where I've had a bit of a meltdown over that saying, oh, I just oh, can't do it anymore. But yeah, yeah. on the whole, I'm fine. Like, you know, yeah. I'm lucky. I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. So I've got a job. Um, yeah. You know, I've got... Great way to look at it. You know, I'm not sick. Um, my parents have managed to stay safe. Um, you know, I can still right. go out and run. That which okay. I'm enormously grateful for. The the whole time I've been very very grateful that we've I've still been allowed to go out and run. Yeah. Um, so that's been great. And you know, yeah, occasionally you have a down day or a moment, but I yeah. have to I have to keep reminding myself like I've got it pretty good. We both have it pretty good. We're both working, and it's not forever. That's the other yeah. thing. Whenever yeah. something, and that's um, often when things are are a bit difficult for me. I always think, well, it's not forever. It will end. Yes. Um, yeah. So you just have to keep thinking that, you know, it's yeah. over when it's over. It's like when you run and, and yeah. when I'm doing a, a, a difficult long run, um, I just think, well, you just start and it's over when you get to the end and that's yeah. when it's over. So yeah, that's, that's a thing. I think we're, we, we have these dates in place now, um, but anything can change so suddenly and, and, we don't know what's going to happen. And I think uh, you said like uh, the connection, it's like a, it's a, it's a human need that, mm. that, and, and that's normal. I think, think everyone's feeling the same, aren't they? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And now that things are starting to open up, um, it's going to get a lot easier now that we can Absolutely. start saying, you know, and I, I was trying really hard to do the right thing. You know, I went for, I did go for a couple of runs with a friend where there was just the two of us. Um, but you know, I was trying to keep that to a minimum because you don't want to be seen doing the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. And if we are all doing mostly doing the right thing, most of the time, yeah. um, which I think we have, and I think we got onto it early, that's the best outcome because if we, if we'd left it too late or if too many people had not done the right thing, we could have been in this situation for a lot longer than we have been. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. I think you know, it's, a, I think it's a good thing. And I'm not sure if, uh, soulmates, have done the same thing in Hobart, but Northwest Soulmates here have decided not to, not to even do the group runs until everything is groups of a hundred people. And I think that's, that's, I so think that's sensible. the right way to go. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. the right way to go because it's too hard to say, so, you know, only 10 people can come or, you know, mm. 10 people over there and 10 people in that corner. And it's too uh, hard to, to yeah. police and manage and, you know, people love their coffee sits and next thing you know, like 20 people in a coffee shop and, just just yeah. stick it out stick it out for another month or so and you know things yeah. are, things will start to get better and they're already starting to get better so Absolutely. you know it, we've still got the luxury of being able to go out and run yeah great great thank you so much for your time today thank you uh, Brian. i've talked for ages <laughs> i just looked at no, the it's clock good. Oh, <laughs> this this could even be a two-part um podcast today oh, it's been really, really interesting for me i found out some some new things and about your roles and yeah. um no you're a very very successful young woman so you should be very proud of your efforts oh, i haven't been called young for a long time so that's very nice i'm only 21 22 <laughs> <laughs> um, a little bit closer to 50 but okay <laughs> say hi to jared for me as well anyway <laughs> i will for sure and he did say to say hello to you too and Mate. hopefully, hopefully, you know, all fingers crossed, we might see you at Cadbury if Cadbury goes ahead yes, and if yeah. you're running well and all that kind of stuff. I hope so. I, I, I mean, I had a few mental health issues personally, but um, no, I'm on now, so it's good. Yeah, yeah good. Yeah. It's always um, good to see you when you're well. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. All right. See you, Brian. Okay. Catch you later.
ladies and gentlemen, that was Shelley Miller. I think you would agree that she's a really intelligent person and easy to listen to. If you did enjoy this podcast, please reach out to Shelley. I think that she'd think that that was really cool. And if you have iTunes, please head over and give the Everyday Lines podcast a rating. And if you have any feedback, please let me know. Until next time, happy running.